You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Today's message is entitled Vision Empowered. Vision Empowered. And this is part two in this mini series on vision, which is in the middle of a series on your provider. And this is what God's put on my heart is to talk about vision. And last week's message was vision. It was called vision. This one's called Vision Empowered. And it turned out as I was preparing there needs to be another part. So that will be when I come back. So I got to come back to finish. So you, some people have been worried when we went on annual leave, are they coming back? And I have to finish. I have to finish. Plus we've got next semester and, and we've got, we're following Jesus. So, and this is what he wants us to do. So let's pray. Father, I'm asking that you would breathe life into the word that it would come alive to us, that you touch our eyes to see you, and that as we see you, Lord, we would be transformed. And we want to exchange our vision for your vision, Lord, because there's not, no greater perfect vision, more clear vision than your vision, Jesus. So Jesus, give us that vision. Give me grace to share. Give us ears to hear in the mighty name of your precious Son, Father. Amen. Amen. Can we... Put our hands on our hearts and pray this with convic conviction. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life. And because we're talking about vision, just put your hands, please, over your eyes. Dear Jesus, touch my eyes that I might see you. Amen. Amen. So... Let's get into this now, Vision Empowered. Our opening text this morning is Matthew 7, 24 through 25, and this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. That's one of the things that we're focusing on as a church, the Sermon on the Mount. I feel like the Lord wants to build this foundation of what Jesus taught there in the book of Matthew in our lives. Matthew 7, 24 reads, So everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on bedrock. The rain fell, the rivers flooded, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it didn't collapse because its foundation was on rock. Do I hear an Amen. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on bedrock. This is coming from the Jewish Bible that uh, Fran and Kiara gave me. What a blessing that was for my birthday last year. And that's the translation. The theme this morning is this. Jesus' vision is to make people like him. Jesus' vision is to make people like him, or to make a people. That's what I meant to say. Jesus' vision is to make a people like him. It's also to make people like him. So both are true. Jesus' vision is to make a people like him. That is what the church is called to be. So let me, introduce, let me introduce this to you some more. Today we're continuing to talk about vision, and our opening passage is part of Jesus' conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. Why is this passage vital to us? Well, over the last years, 
<laughs> sorry, over the last few years, over the last few years, our church has gone through these things. Think about it. The rain has fallen. The rivers have flooded. And the winds have blown, beating against our house. Hasn't that happened? Uh, however, we stand and we will continue to stand because our faith foundation, our foundation is on the rock, Jesus Christ. Yet it's important to remind ourselves that we only build on the foundation of Jesus Christ if we hear his words and act on them. Honoring Jesus with our lips and not our hearts will not make our faith stormproof. So if we honor Jesus with our lips but not our hearts, our faith won't be stormproof. So let's be careful that we're not fair-weather Christians and fair-weather church members. Now, what does that mean? A fair-weather Christian is only committed to their church when the weather is good. But a true disciple is faithful through the storms. So as we focus on vision today, I'm going to recap some of last week and then build on it. Do I hear an amen? amen? So the Lord doesn't want us to be these fair-weather Christians. They call, call it fair-weather fans in the sports world. When their team is winning and doing well, they're at the games, they're watching. But when the team is not doing well, they're not watching. That's what it means to be a fair-weather friend. And you can have these fair-weather Christians. Everything's going good, and it's exciting, and they're there. But once things get tough and the storms come, they dissipate. The Lord does not want us to be like that. You understand? Oh, it's hard-hitting just at the beginning. <laughs> so our first point is this, and this is going back to last week. What is our vision? What should the vision of a Christian be? What is our vision as a church? Our vision is Jesus. Our vision is Jesus. And we're going to look at Hebrews 12 too. We didn't get a chance to look at that last week. But I'd like us to say this together. Our vision, our vision. is Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I love that phrase there, and you've heard it said before. I'm sure you've prayed it too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And he is the pioneer. He's the beginner of our faith. He's the origin of our faith. And he is also the perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So our chief vision as a church is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the pupil in our eye illustration. So I'm going to show you again our eye illustration. And we're going to be, we're going to be building on it. This morning, but Jesus is the pupil in our eye illustration. So here's an eye, and of course, the center, the dark black part, that's the pupil. I think we all know that. <laughs> but uh, for the kids, that's the pupil in the center. And in this illustration I'm giving, it's Jesus that is at the very center of our vision. And here's a little illustration of the eye. You had the pupil at the center. You had the iris and the sclera. Uh, I think the British say sclera. I don't know how the Aussies say it because I've never had somebody come up to me and say, oh, you have a beautiful sclera. So white. It's not bloodshot. I haven't, haven't heard the term used in uh, conversation here, but you may hear sclera or sclera depending on the accent. And of course, the eyelid. We talked about the significance of the eyelid last week. So here it is. Anna drew this 
picture, a little graphic of an eye. And our vision is Jesus at the center. And I want to say it shouldn't just be our church. It should be every church in the world should be Jesus is at the center. Now, notice it's not the people at the center. It's Jesus at the center. It is not goals that we want to achieve that's at the center. It's Jesus at the center. Amen. Amen. The the Lord is echoing the word. (laughs) It's Jesus at the center. It's not the goals. It's not the things. It's not the things, even the good things we want to do for God. It's Jesus at the center. Jesus is the sun we revolve around and look to. He himself is our vision and light. We know that the pupil takes in. We know the pupil takes in the light. The pupil takes in the light. And only by having him as our vision can we follow him. Only having him as our vision can we follow him. So we need to have him as our vision so that we can follow him. And the Greek word, we just finished our exegesis papers at Bible school, and these exegesis papers included a word study. So here's my word study, but it's going to be very quick this morning. (laughs) But it has to do with this word that I've talked about, Hebrews 12, 2, and it's aphorao, aphorao in the Greek. And phorao is coming from to see, to, so to see. And then ah is meaning an intensification of seeing, or it's uh, apo, which is from. The idea is you are looking away from other things so that you can fix your eyes on Jesus. And so what Little and Scott uh, said, one of the uh, uh, most uh, significant works uh, on Greek uh, what they said is uh, that this aphorao means look away from all others at one. So the idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus is we're looking away from other things, all the other distractions, and looking to him, aphorao. And another way, the bidag, which is another famous lexicon, another way it says it is to direct one's attention without distraction. Fix one's eyes trustingly. Now, when a translator is translating, they're usually just choosing one word. But when you dive into the original, you unpack a, a bit more, which they could not say in a translation. So that's one of the good things about doing a word study as you're unpacking the treasures. Uh, the other thing is it means to develop more precise knowledge about something. Especially, I want us to see it as... We need to look away from all the distractions and fix our eyes on Jesus and direct our attention to him and not lose our focus from him so that we can grow in the knowledge of Jesus and so that we can follow him. Because Jesus said when he called his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, which we're going to come to very soon. Oh, here it is. I didn't realize it, but I did write this. (laughs) Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, Matthew 4.19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We need eyes that see and are fixed on Jesus to follow him. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So in this message, we're going to focus on each part of Jesus' call in this, on, in this verse. Follow me, then I will make you, and then third, fishers of men. But it looks like the third one, fishers of men, is going to happen when we get back uh, in the next message. So two, number two, and this is still recapping, still recapping from last week. Our vision is to be a people like Jesus. Our vision is to be a people like Jesus. And this is why Jesus said, follow me, because he wants us to be like him. So when we're following him, 
Our lives are being transformed and we are now reflecting Jesus. We're becoming like him and he's making us. I will make you into fishers of men. He's a fisher of men, a fisher of people, and then he's making us into fishers of people. So in our eye illustration, our people, the people of our church, are like the eyes iris. Here is the illustration again. We have Jesus at the center and then our people. And our goal as the people of God and our goal as our church and our ministry is to be surrounding Jesus, that he's in the middle. He is the center and we are surrounding him. We are encircling him. But it's not us at the center, which usually happens with talks about vision. Uh, usually it's us in the center. But we're displacing ourselves, and it's Jesus in the center, and we're his people that are <clears throat> surrounding him. We are like the diverse rainbow surrounding Jesus' throne. And we saw this in Revelation 4.3, this rainbow around Jesus' throne. And as you remember from last week, iris means rainbow. So if you look in the word rainbow up, it's this word which has come to us in the English is iris. And so the idea is the iris is colorful. And we are, as God's people, the rainbow surrounding Jesus' throne. In Christ, we all look different. We're unique colors, but by the Spirit, we blend together and communicate to the world that God is a covenant-keeping God full of mercy and grace. I remember my pastor preaching, and because the people in his church were saying, you can't talk about the rainbow, you can't use the rainbow, uh, because other people have hijacked it. And he said, no, it's God's symbol first. God is the one who created this rainbow. And so I'm not going to let the enemy steal what God has first given. Well, we see in Genesis 9, 13 through 16 that the rainbow is a message of God's covenant love to the world and mankind. And in Christ, we all look different. We're all different colors. But by the Spirit, we blend together. And we blend together. We're in unity for a purpose and that is to communicate to the world that God is a covenant-keeping God full of mercy and grace. And that His mercy and grace is extended. It's extended toward all. Hallelujah. Uh, Irene reminded me of a few years ago, we went on our annual leave and we stayed at a place. And I've never experienced this before but there was a rainbow in our backyard because of where we were. We were up on a hill, and the way the clouds came in, it was like, it was like right there. It was right in front of you. And I was like, whoa. And it, it came a couple of times, and it was vivid, and we were amazed by it. And it was like God took that. Instead of the rainbow being in a distance, he put it in our backyard. <laughs> Not to say that I could touch it. It was like just it was it was just like there, you know, right, right, right over there, and it was quite an amazing experience. And we took photos of it, but you know, photos of the rainbow never do the rainbow justice. They never do the rainbow justice. Well, there's Allie and Anna. Congratulations to Allie finishing her floristry course, and this is her little display that she had. Well, it was a big display, cost a fortune. <laughs> but I'm so proud of Allison. And she had to do flowers for a vintage uh, wedding. That was the theme. And notice that the flowers are colorful. And, this, and they're all different. And this is how God has his people. We're not all meant to look the same. We're not all meant to be the same. But in Christ, we're unified. And in Christ, we are together. And so many different flowers, but one bouquet, right? We're many different flowers, but we're meant to be one uh, bouquet, one 
display. Hallelujah. So proud of you, Allie. And she st- oh, she's got a business. So if you could, uh, a little commercial break. Okay. So, and that is, lo- it, she calls it Love Bug Florist. She's calling it Love Bug Florist. So a good uh, name to remember. And she made up her own logo. And for all your flower needs, <laughs> feel free to check out Allison. She was busy doing all these flowers for the formal for different people. What are they called? Buttonholes for the guys? Buttonholes for the guys, corsages for the women. I'm learning all sorts of things. Our house now looks like a florist shop. Hallelujah. So in Acts, now we're getting into the heart of today. In Acts 14, 19 through 20, we see the power of fellowship. And I'm going to read this story to you. In Acts 14, 19 through 20, we see the power of fellowship. And today we have lost that sense of the power of fellowship. Though I believe those who are here, you know that power and that's why you're here. And we need to persuade others of what God's word says about the power of fellowship and engaging in it. Well, Acts 14, 19 through 20 reads like this. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derb. So let's talk about this here. Paul was stoned dragged out of the city, and it seemed he was dead. So that's quite dramatic, isn't it? He's stoned, dragged out of the city, and it seems like he's dead. But God's people surrounded Paul. And this is one of the things that comes out in the Greek, which you can kind of lose in the translation, though it's there in the English, but it's, it's strong in the Greek because the first word is that encircling in the Greek verse. Of, uh, in, in this uh, part. But God's people surrounded Paul. And when they encircled him, resurrection life entered him. And he was able to get up and enter the city again. Do you see that? I need to read it again so we really get a hold of what's happening here. God's people surrounded Paul. There's that, the Greek word is this encircling Paul. And when they encircled him, all of a sudden he got up. Now, why did he get up? Because God's people carry the presence of God with them. God's people carry Jesus with them. They carry resurrection life in them. You carry resurrection life in you. You carry the Lord in you. And when they encircled him, resurrection life entered him. And he was able to get up and enter the city again. So he looked like he was dead. All of a sudden they surround him. He gets up. He's back in the city. He's continuing on in the mission. He's not saying, oh, you know, I need some recovery time. He's, He's right there. He's back in it again. When we encircle those who've been attacked, especially through prayer and encouragement, we empower them to stand again. When we encircle those who've been attacked, especially through prayer and encouragement, we empower them to stand again. So this is what fellowship does. It, when Jesus is the center of our fellowship, we surround one another and we impart what is in us, the life of God, to them. Uh, through prayer, through encouragement, through our praises, we impart life to those that we're fellowshiping fellowshipping with. Do you see this? Do you see how this happens? And so all throughout the, the week, there's been different attacks against us. People may have been, been stoning us through the word, uh, through the world, <laughs> through the word. People in, let me say it like this, people in the world may have been stoning us with their words. That's what I meant to say. People in the world 
They're stoning us with their words. Uh, I know that I felt like this so many times. You'd think a pastor was a safe job. It's not a safe job. It's the most dangerous job in the world. I remember a guy talking to me on the phone. He's like, oh, you know, I've got secular uh, employment. It's so tough. There's nothing more, quote, unquote, secular that the pastor gets involved in. He knows every sin that's out there, and, it's, and it's, uh, it can be overwhelming. Uh, but, and then people stone you, and many times Anna and I have felt flat on the floor, but we have had faithful brothers and sisters get around us. And Irene initiated this the other week. Get around us and pray for us. And give words of life. And this has brought resurrection life to us. And this is what we should be doing to one another all the time. And this is why, this is one of the reasons why we gather. By surrounding our brothers, sisters, and leaders, we are people like Jesus. By surrounding our brothers, sisters, and leaders, we are people like Jesus. We're being like Jesus. Sometimes somebody comes up with uh, an excuse about fellowship and, and usually goes like this. And if you said this, it, I'm not aiming it at you. I've just heard it over the last 25 years uh, so many times where it says, uh, I'm not coming for fellowship because I, I don't need anything. Well, you don't come to fellowship just to need something. Of course, we all need the word of God. You come both to give and to receive. So we come to give. And if you're so filled, that's, that's good. You come to give. And then you also come to receive. And we need that. We need our brothers and sisters giving and receiving. And thank you for being a community that does that. And let us grow in that. And let that be contagious. Barbara was saying they had uh, some of the women fellowshipping. You fellowship to one in the morning? <laughs> that was cool. Good to hear. Third, third point. Our vision is to train mighty warriors for God's kingdom. Do I hear it? Amen. And when I say our, I mean all of us, you know. It's not just Anna and I. It's, it's us. This is what God has called us to do. Our vision is to train mighty warriors for God's kingdom. So in order for us to be a people like Jesus, we need equipping and training. And this equipping and training makes us into a people like Jesus. And he's looking for mighty warriors that overcome obstacles and problems and storms and issues and overcome and still are about the Father's business. They don't allow anything to stop them being about the Father's business. Well, I came across this this week. My stomach is flat. The L is just silent. My stomach is flat. The L is just silent. Well, then it would be fat. <laughs> well, spiritually, God wants to make us strong, healthy, fit. Amen. How about this? Whenever I go running, I meet new people like paramedics. <laughs> this, this, reminded, this reminds me of early in our marriage. Anna and I were like, we got to get fit. And then we were like skinny like a stick. If you, <laughs> I was like, we got to get fit. And so we're going to uh, uh, run around the neighborhood. And, you know, Anna has had her battles with um, asthma. So we, it sounded if, uh, fun. But halfway around the block, it was like, we're going to have to find another <laughs> method of exercising. It was a bit like this, but we didn't have to call the paramedics. Uh, me checking for abs after my workout. <laughs> uh, Winnie the Pooh there, me checking for abs after, after my workout. Discipleship. Training mighty warriors, that's what discipleship is. Discipleship, training mighty warriors, is 
the sclera part of our eye illustration. Discipleship, training mighty warriors, is the sclera part of our eye illustration. Now, why is this the case? I'll explain it. So now, going back to our illustration, we have Jesus in the center, we have our people, the iris, and then the white, the sclera, is the white part of the eye. So the white part of the eye is the sclera. Uh, and that part is the toughest, hardest part of the eye. It actually means uh, hard in Greek, from sclero, skleos. Uh, we'll see. I've got it up there. And so this part is to train and equip. Our vision is to train and equip. Train and equip. And those words are synonymous. Sclera comes from the Greek word meaning hard. Skleros. That's, I don't know if I pronounced it right before. Skleros. And uh, skleros, you can find that word in the Bible. The sclera is the tough, fibrous tissue of the eye. Without it, the eye doesn't function properly. It can't move up and down or side to side. It holds our irises and pupils in place. So this part of the eye is important. It's tough, it's fibrous, and it allows our eye to function and often you can find that somebody is sick if you look in that part of the eye, the white, you know, the yellow, and yeah. Uh, Anne has, knows this from her medical background. You know, it's just, it could turn yellow. Uh, it could turn uh, different colors if someone is sick. Um, there's, and then sometimes it may turn colors and you may not be sick, so I don't want, uh, don't, tell oh, my eye, it's... <laughs> Make sure you see a doctor. <laughs> Some people just have darker pigments in the, the white area. Um, but it is definitely a, an area where someone, you can see something. And I have found that the church all across the world has failed in discipleship. And especially in Australia. We haven't made disciples we haven't equipped people to be like Jesus, and our purpose is to do that so that they're tough, like fibrous tissue, tough and, and hard, not in a hard-hearted way, but like a soldier, and they're not pushed around and tossed around, and it's not like, oh, you know, somebody said something bad about me this week. Oh, I can't come to church. I can't read the Bible, I can't pray, because something has come against me. So the Lord is about making us tough and strong, and this is what happens in discipleship. So here is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and it says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Have you heard of this one before? <laughs> Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And if you're watching this online, I'm only joking when I said, have you heard of this before? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to stop there. A lot of people, when they think of baptizing, they're just thinking about water baptism. Water baptism is important, but it is a symbol of immersing people into the character of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what happens in discipleship. Our lives get immersed in the Father's character that we now have the Father heart of God and we carry his nature toward those who uh, need the Father heart of God and to raise up sons and daughters. And then we immerse them in the Son and then they have the the nature of a son, of submission and obedience and dependence, and they become like Jesus, immersing them in the Son, and then immersing them in the Holy Spirit. They're immersed in the Holy Spirit's fire. His love, His joy, His peace, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a process that takes a lifetime. 
It's something that the Lord does as we're saved, but it also takes a lifetime to unfold and bloom. It goes on to say, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So everything that I commanded you, this is what Jesus is saying, everything that I commanded you, everything that I told you to do, this is the things that you need to do. And this is what happens in discipleship. You're teaching not just, it's not intellectual knowledge merely, but disobedience from the heart, which was uh, talked about this week. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Amen. Go about this ship. Just like the sclera, training makes us strong so that we're empowered to do the Father's will. So again, this is the purpose of training. It's to empower us to do the Father's will. Training makes you strong so that you're empowered to do the Father's will, just like the Son did everything his Father wanted him to do. This is what the Lord is working in our life. And here is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And this is part of our vision. This is part of what we're doing, why we do it. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the works, work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So this equipping is for the purpose of maturity. And we just finished the maturity unit uh, at Bible school and we had a, a wonderful time and I was so proud of everybody and their exegesis papers and they really drew out the treasures of the word uh, and many forth through a lot of battles to do it. Well, that's the purpose of equipping is to make us mature to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, notice again how it says, the equipping of the saints for the work of service or the work of ministry. So, I know all of us know this, but I am saying this again, and also I'm hoping that as people come and they get saved, that they can hear this message and that they could learn these things. So classically, you have a pastor, and he does all the work of the ministry, and everybody sits and watches him, <laughs> right? But that's not what we're about in this church, and that's not what we're doing. And this is one of the revolutions that God is bringing to his people all across the world, but it's taking us a little while to actually change. And the goal is that you have the pastors and the apostles and the prophets. They're equipping us so that all of us do the work of ministry. Amen. And you're getting your orders from Jesus. And so here, Barbara's been equipped, and she's opened up her house, and she's taking the, some of the younger women, and they're talking about Jesus. And one of them couldn't do their exegesis paper here. So they were doing it. Juliana was doing it at... Barbara's house. And so that's a great example. I, if I went to, and then I heard that Elizabeth was out there and she was ministering recently uh, at a church. And this is what our goal is. And even worship, worship is the most important ministry. So if you're worshiping the Lord, you are ministering to the Lord. Our goal is that, and I'm not your, or let me get very personal, I'm not your traditional pastor. I'm, first off, I'm a missionary. God sent me from Long Island, New York to here. And he sent me to equip you. And I'm trying to work myself out of a job. <laughs> I, I think the Lord keeps on telling me I'm going to be here for a long time. So. <laughs> but this is what I want to see you guys preaching and teaching and doing the works. And I can't follow up everybody and I can't minister to everybody that's sick and I can't I sure can't do it if I try to do it all and I have a tendency to fall into that trap but if I tend to do it all it burns me out so I have to purposely hold myself back so that you guys rise up and do 
the work of ministry. And that's how it should be. The purpose of God's leaders is to do that equipping. And when God's people are equipped, they end up maturing. And then notice how it says as we go on, as, a re- as they mature, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. I will just stop there. What I saw last year was that with all those YouTube videos and everything going on in the world, everybody seemed to be, to- everybody seemed to be tossed by the winds and the waves of every, all the popular things that were set out there and some fanatical conservatives. Uh, sadly, I, I believe uh, that we, I believe we meant to be both conservative and progressive. Progressive in that we keep on pressing on to follow Jesus and become more like him. And then we're also conserving all the values of scripture. But I don't want to get into, into that. But there was all the sorts of Wacky teaching out there, and Christians were tossed back and forth. And it was a, what was exposed was the immaturity in the body of Christ. We need to mature. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. Well, if you're here today, you survived that. (laughs) Because not everybody survived that. And maybe they need you getting around them to minister resurrection life to them. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by every joint, supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, every joint, that was something that Daniel and Diane shared on a few weeks back about the joints being together, and the only way the body could move is if the joints, uh, uh, if the two bones are together, joined together. And that's what the joints, that's what joints are all about. And I want to encourage you to get, you know, connect online, even though we're not meeting in person. There are going to be short meetings. And, uh, you know, pray for Daniel. But don't overburden them. Please be sensitive to their, their needs. What I feel that this time is over the next few weeks is a time to rest and digest. <laughs> That's what the Lord put on. Because, you know, you get fed a lot. There's a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching. You can use BrisbaneFire.com and there's notes here, there, infographics. There's so much. So this is a time for us to rest and digest. I don't want you stressing out, uh, but find your rest in the Lord. Now, somebody is uh, unmuted at home, uh, so please make sure you're muted. I can't see who it is now, but please make sure if you're at home, you're muted. This part of the vision is about equipping people to be like Jesus. So that's the purpose of equipping, is for the people of God to be like Jesus. Imagine, as Diana has been sharing in her blog, imagine a whole army of people that are like Jesus. Everywhere. They will do mighty works, greater works. It's just amazing things. And this is what God is doing. And if we would just say, yes, Lord, this is what he's doing. This is the army he's raising up. And our Bible school, Holy Fire Ministry Training School, and the JC soldiers are living this vision. We are doing this equipping work. And doing this discipleship, you can find out more at holyfireschool.com. This is the purpose of our Bible school, and that's how it fits into the vision, as well as the JC soldiers with Peter and Tina leading that, and they have done a marvelous job over many, many years. But you got to pray for us because those of us who have been in, you know, doing the works of God, It's now 23 years, and Peter's been doing it for a long time. When you've done the work of the Lord for a long time, you can get weary. That's why pray for us that we don't get weary in well-doing, that God refreshes us and recharges us. Well, I feel recharged this morning. Every time I preach the word, it's like, whoo! 
Woo! <laughs> I have the joy of the Lord. I'm excited. <laughs> but there's other times I don't feel as energetic. So pre- please pray for us. And this is what Anna worked on. This is her card. You probably heard her video, but this is our next unit, the Intimacy Unit 2022, starting at the 8th of August. And this is what we're doing at Bible School. So you can check that out. Our whole church is called to be a disciple-making community. So what I want to say here is it's not just the school. It's not just the JC soldiers. That's meant to kickstart us so that our whole church, everybody, we are all a disciple-making community. We're all engaged in discipleship. We're all discipling others, and, or, and we're being discipled. And I'm not saying that one person is lording it over your life, but it's a community where we encourage one another to be like Jesus. When you follow Jesus, Jesus says, I will make you. Now listen to that. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if I were to break up that verse, I'd break it up into three parts. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. That's the third part, fishers of men. I will make you. But we often leave out the making process that the Lord will make us. And the making process is foundational. It's this making process that's foundational for becoming a disciple. And again, it's a lifelong thing. And it's painful at times. And that's why people get up and run away. But let the Lord make you. It's this making process that's foundational for becoming a disciple. We each need to be willing to be made and formed by Jesus. So he is the potter and we're on the potter's wheel. And he's pressing, pressing us and pulling us. And we're spinning around and around. Oh, I'm getting dizzy here. Because <laughs> we're on the pilot's wheel. But he is he's pressing us and he's forming us. And we each need to be willing and soft. That's what it means to have a soft heart. Is He's able to form us and make us. We also need to be vessels to help make disciples. So the reason why he's making us is so that we're vessels that can be poured out into others. So here we have a whole bunch of vessels, and notice that these vessels all have a little spout. And that is so they can pour out the contents that are within them. And the Lord wants to fill us with the the contents of his word, the content of his word. You know, we're filled with the word. And so then we're pouring it out to others. We need to be vessels to help make disciples. How are we going? We're almost finished here. It's going good. That's good to hear. But we don't want to make disciples in a micromanaging or controlling way which is one of the errors some pockets of the church have made. So some people have talked about discipleship, and it's been about controlling somebody and micromanaging their life. I don't believe in that. I know the Lord doesn't believe in that. And so we are discipling people, but we're not controlling people. We're teaching them, but it's up to them to live it out. We can't force it, and we can't uh, control them. We give people freedom, just like... God gave freedom to Adam and Eve in the garden. One of the things that happened in the 70s, and I think it was the early 80s, where people were talking about discipleship, and, but it became a, uh, a relationship where one person lorded it over another. And for some people, it became so much so that if, unless you passed everything through your uh, disciple maker, you couldn't do anything. Like, I can't go down and get a pizza unless I get the permission of the person who's discipling me. <laughs> this is 
this is wrong, this is error. And, but sadly, the church responded in such a way where, oh, let's not talk about discipleship any, anymore. And it just became about entertaining crowds. And what we have found of late, and you can talk to pastors all around the world, what we've found of late is that doesn't work. It doesn't work because we're having all these people and they know how to attend, like they're going to a concert, but that doesn't make disciples. So attending is an important part if it's married with discipleship. Listen to what Jesus says to the circle around him. So again, this uh, Greek word is used that was used in Acts for encircling. They encircled Paul. And it's used again in Mark 3, 31 through 35. I'll, I'll read this to you. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him. So they were sitting around him, sitting in this circle around him. Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Did you hear that? I'll read, I'll read that again. Behold my mothers and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God. Say that with me. Does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. Notice he doesn't say, all those who responded to me at the crusade, they're my brother and sisters and mothers. All those who filled in a decision card. All those who go to church. No, he says, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So we first need to be born again so that we can do that. But then that's part of discipleship is equipping people so that they can do the will of God. So in this talk that Jesus just gave, in this talk, Jesus describes his true spiritual family. That's what he's meaning by his mother and brothers. He's talking about his true spiritual family, not just those in the flesh. This seems to almost like he's glossing over his family in the flesh. They were saying, oh, they're looking for you. <laughs> they're looking for you. And what is he saying that his true spiritual family is? They are those who do the will of God. His true fa uh, family are those who do the will of God. They are not talkers or posers, but doers. Not mere talkers or posers. <laughs> you know, they pose and they look good. <laughs> when I was a skater, back when I was a kid, I was a skater. I have my skateboard, you know, I flipped it up. I a skull on the back of the skateboard and doing all tricks and I was skateboarding school. And, and, uh, but we would call the people who were uh, trying to look like skaters, but they weren't really skaters. They were the posers. <laughs> they, were the po they were posing. And you can have a lot of Christians that are posers, but what Jesus is saying, it's the doers. It's the doers. They are the family. They are the family. We need to distinguish between people who come to church and those who are the church. Now, stop right there before going forward. A lot of people get this confused, and it causes them to get angry. But we need to distinguish between people who come to church and those who are the church. Now, you guys, are, you are the church. But as time calls on, there's going to be people that come. And just because they come to church doesn't mean they are the church. As disciples, we are the church. And we see the people that are coming to church as our mission, as well as going out into the world, because we are the church. The people who come to church are part of our mission, but the people who actively make an effort to live out Jesus' words are the church. And so we always need to make a distinction between the true church those are the people 
of God, born again by the Spirit, who live out the Word of God, who are making an effort to be disciples. And then there's those who are coming to church, interested, those who are out in the world. And our job is we have a mission to be fishers of men, fishers of people. We'll talk more about that in the next message. This one I'm not going to cover very much. We need to come to an end soon. But I also want to bring out that, and we'll talk about it more another time. Our vision is to serve Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 18. Our vision is to serve Christ's body. What's the purpose of an of an eye. What's the purpose of the eye? Well, it's to serve the body. We have the eye, and the eye's purpose is to serve the body, so I'm not banging things and <laughs> tripping over things so I know where I'm going. The purpose of the eye is to serve the body, and our purpose is the same, to serve the body of Christ. We are not just serving our church, but the whole body worldwide. So it's not about us. It's about Jesus and about serving this body worldwide. We especially have a call to Brisbane, the greater Brisbane area in Australia. That's where the Lord has placed us. And we have a call to reach the body of Christ in this area. So I guess the shift is with our church and I believe this should be for every church, but I just want to pioneer the way, so to speak. Uh, with our ch usually with uh, other churches, they're trying to build their kingdom, and the kingdom of God is put on the side. But for us, it's all about building the kingdom of God or extending the kingdom of God, letting the kingdom of God be center. And our goal is to serve the body of Christ. We, we're not making ourselves into an idol. Our purpose is not centered around ourselves. We're not looking in the mirror and saying, oh, how beautiful our eyes are. <laughs> Instead, we are using our eyes to help build up the whole body of Christ. That's our goal. And that's our vision. And that's what God has called us to do. And so we have family uh, that you know, we know that have been a part of us and now they're moved on, but they're still part of the body of Christ and we're there to serve, still serve our family. We don't, have, we don't take the attitude that, oh, they left us, so you know, they're no longer part of God's people, which some churches have taken that attitude. We don't take that attitude. Instead, they, they have moved on. What can we do to continue to serve? What can we do to continue to bless? What can we do to help strengthen the body of Christ? Do you see that attitude? That's the attitude we want. And though we're few in number here, we've got to embody these things and then train up the next generation with these values. Serving the body does not mean floating from one place to another. Hopping like a kangaroo to greener pastures. <laughs> Instead, to serve, we need to be grounded and part of a strong base. To serve, we need to be grounded and part of a strong base. And that is what God is making us into. It's like the military. Every soldier needs a solid base. There's an aircraft carrier. I'm not here to advertise the movie Top Gun today. It's just an aircraft carrier. <laughs> if your eye does not have a socket, it will not function. Think about the socket. It keeps the eye in place. If your eye does not have a socket, it will not function. Your church community serves as a socket stabilizing you so that the eye is not roaming around everywhere and not able to function. So your church community serves as a socket stabilizing you. So here's the conclusion for, for today. 
We've seen that Jesus is our vision. Second, our vision is to be a people like Jesus. Third, we've talked about how our vision is to train mighty warriors. And lastly, our vision is to serve Christ's wider body. There's more to our vision, but we'll cover it after our three-week mid-year break. Uh, let's all stand, and we're going to pray. Amen? Amen? How did you go? Father, I'm praying that all of us would be vision-empowered. We've been through a lot as a church, with the rain coming down, the floods, literal rain, literal floods, and wind blowing against us, tossing people here and there, every wind and wave of doctrine. But Lord, you have called us to be a base and to stand firm. And today you're clarifying our vision. And my heart is that you would touch the vision of all of your people all across the world, everyone hearing this, that our vision would be Jesus once again and not ourselves. And to be a people that follow you where you're center stage, where you're at the center and that we are people equipped like a mighty army to be like Jesus. And that we are not serving ourselves, but we're serving the body of Christ. Father, I'm praying that this vision would be before our eyes as Anna and I venture out for a break and we're being obedient to follow you. And I want to pray a blessing over everybody here that a great shalom upon us, those at home, uh, those a part of this church, and those we minister to, a great shalom would come on your people. And this would be a time to rest and digest and that the nutrients of the word of God would get into us. And that we would not be hearers only, but we would be doers of the word of God. And Lord, this vision that you have, Jesus, this is your vision. You're raising up a mighty army that's equipped, that's doing your works everywhere, that is not restricted or bound by religious rules, but they're free and they walk in freedom and they walk in righteousness. And Father, this is what I'm praying, that you would raise up this army this army that's been in your heart. Father, we've been standing all these years through buffeting, through winds and waves, through every type of stoning and attack. We have been standing for the sake of your vision, Lord, that your people would become strong and mighty, that your people would be winning souls every day, that the acts of the apostles would happen again and even more, Lord. We pray an even more, even more maturity. <clears throat> that there would be a great harvest and revival. Lord, we do not believe that in the end, the people of God just wither away and die. <laughs> yeah, there, there will be people who wither away and die, but those are those who are not abiding in you. But Lord, your people are going to rise and grow stronger and stronger, like the sun rising to its zenith. And this is what we're praying for. This is what we're believing for. That the, that the greatest harvest is to come. That the greatest days of the church are now and into the future. That we are called to be pioneers. We're not those who are pushed around and shoved. And uh, we don't go by the current culture. We don't go by what popular people are doing but we go by what you're saying Lord and through it all we're going to follow you through it all we're going to fix our eyes on you we're going to follow you we're going to seek you with all of our hearts and Lord let this happen as we stand here in the middle of this city let this happen to the north and the south and the east and west let the people of God rise up let them be healed and restored and revived we're believing for a mighty revival to sweep Australia. In this place, which is often a graveyard for pastors, we're believing for resurrection life in the mighty name of Jesus. And we're going to stand with you, Jesus. Thank you, Father.
And we're asking for grace and mercy because we can't do this in our own strength, Lord. Only through you, Lord. Only our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Hallelujah.